Hello, retro movie lovers. Welcome back to the 1980s movie graveyard horrorathon. It is October, which means we're just pumping horror movie commentaries, analysis, everything out left and right. We're just watching horror movies around the clock. Um, you know, yesterday I went to work on two hours sleep because I watched eight horror movies in a row. I mean, it's just getting insane. We're getting so overwhelmed here. And uh, in order to, you know, kind of keep up the workload, we have to bring in more and more part-time uh, movie graveyard diggers. So I want to welcome a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He is the man, the myth, the legend, Bird. Bird, how are you doing, buddy? I know you're so uh, busy also watching these horror movies around the clock because it is October and you are a horror enthusiast, aren't you? Absolutely. Uh, it's good to be here, Goat. I would actually argue I may need an introduction. <laughs> exactly. Well, everybody, everybody knows Trev. He's done at least three or four appearances on the show. We always, you know, we always uh, try to, you know, if somebody's on who has other shows, try to get them to plug it. So Trev always mentions he does Days of Future podcast, and if it bleeds, we can kill it. If we bleeds, we can kill it. He co-hosts with Bird, so that's exactly who Bird is. But Bird also has a brand new endeavor. And it's called the Kaiju Transmissions. Take a second to explain to people what a Kaiju is first and what the Kaiju Transmissions show is. Uh, well, a Kaiju is a, a, a giant monster, usually uh, the, referred to when talking about Japanese monster movies. So that would be your Godzilla, your Gamera, even extending to TV with stuff like Ultraman. Um, and... Uh, I also want to kind of broaden the horizon a little bit by talking about um, Western or, uh, you know, other Asian uh, monsters. Like, uh, you know, I want to do some stuff on Korean monster movies and stuff like the Ray Harryhausen stuff. So um, really just if you're into giant monsters. Um, Guys in rubber suits, stop motion puppets, everything miniatures yeah that's that's where you want to be and um uh part of the reason that i even started it was there there's you know other kaiju podcasts which are are good they're fine but a lot of them just focus on you know the godzilla movies the gamera movies and you know we we'll talk a little bit about that stuff too but we also want to bring out um you know some stuff people may never have heard of or or whatever and because uh, there's there's so much out there that I mean, I we we have at least like two years of episodes, uh, topics laid out that we can do. Wow, it's so it's uh, almost like uh, like a television show. You have the whole thing mapped out. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, there's it, it, once you once you start, there's you you really go through a rabbit hole. It's and like you, saying uh, I'm going to start a podcast on, you know, superheroes. It's okay. You could do that the rest of your life, probably. Yeah, and these guys on Kaiju Transmissions, I'm blanking on your co-host name. His name's Matt. Yeah, Matt. Matt's really good. Both of you guys are lifelong experts, I would say. Uh, I don't know about Matt's background, but I know you for sure. You've been to the conventions. You actually met some of the creators of some of these films and stuff you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you you know, you can't get that much more in-depth. This man's willing to... Planes, trains, automobiles to meet the people who are bringing the kaijus to the big screen. Yeah, so. and I, I also just, you know, uh, a lot of these movies aren't uh, American productions, so finding a good amount of information on them in English can be difficult. So hopefully there will be some people that might not uh, 
have a lot of resources at their disposal and maybe they'll learn something. I always say at the end of an episode, you, hopefully you learned something, but you probably didn't. So <laughs> hopefully you learned something. If not, hopefully you can at least be entertained and have fun. Well, now you're branching out even farther because now you're officially a part-time movie graveyard grave digger. I couldn't be happier. A lot of, I mean, uh, well, the reason I said I probably need an introduction is um, we, we, I mean, we've done plenty of podcasts together. Dozens but, of episodes together. <laughs> but uh, before 80s movie graveyard, um, you know, you did Hillbilly DVD reviews and movie wars. You've come on to If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It a few times. And with this still being a show that's relatively new, you probably have a lot of new listeners that probably don't know who I am or don't know any exactly. of the stuff you used to do. So it's it's like a Trojan horse. We rolled him in with the new and then out came leaking all the old shit, all the old podcast <laughs> podcast partners and friends, super friends. You know, when it comes to podcasts and I always say you can never have enough super friends. Oh yeah. Uh I mean hopefully hopefully some of these guys will check out some of my stuff and once this comes out and I share the link Hopefully, we'll give you some more listeners also. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like the 80s, I mean, there was some kaiju stuff. It wasn't the height of it, but there's still some good movies. I have a feeling me and you down the road, we will be covering some rubber suit bullshit eventually. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's a lot of crossover potential. Yeah, I, think. I love rubber suit bullshit. I'm just going <laughs> to put it out there. Um, and, yeah, if it bleeds, we can kill it. That's me and Trev who, you know, people from... Uh, graveyard probably know by now uh i mean that's more of a general movie podcast so a lot of a lot of horror talk a lot of sci-fi talk and kind of you know genre films but we we kind of go through everything and we uh you know we we try to have a lot of different themes and stuff so yeah i would say i would say in a way to like sum us all up i think Corey's more of a 80s 90s direct-to-video action nerd I'm more of a just an 80s, like, general pop culture movie nerd. I think you're definitely with the monster genre kaiju movie nerd. And I think Trev is just more of, like, um, he's kind of more on this, even though we all have interests that crossover, he's kind of more on the spectrum of, like, like, comic book slash, I don't know, like, like his tastes are more diverse, but, but he definitely gets more into, like, the, uh, like character driven movies but he really likes it if it's like a genre movie that has strong characters that's kind of where oh, his yeah. nerdom lies i would say for sure i don't blame him that's the best when when you see a b movie that actually like is aspiring maybe not even aspiring to but succeeding and actually like telling a good story with good characters that's just a great feeling exactly well, that's not what we're going to be doing today. No, we will. we're really going down the <laughs> rabbit hole of some Roger Corman bullshit. Um, without further ado, you know, there are requirements for being a part-time uh, graveyard uh, movie digger here, and you fit them all. You have a DVD player. You have a microphone. <laughs> you have a <laughs> shovel. So here we go. Let's wake up our DVD players, make sure they didn't go to sleep. Today, we're talking about the one, the only... The classic jumping mall. Well, 
Welcome to the 1980s movie Graveyard, the show that lets forgotten movies have one last chance to shine. Now sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Yeah, mine actually did go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You gotta wake these things up, or else they'll really screw you on the sync up. But uh, yeah, uh, you still got a pause on Concord, or did it go away for you? Uh, I got a. It looks like I I'm, I just got to start it all over again. Okay, get it started over again. But yeah, this is an amazing film. Uh, I think it's probably the one where they treat Kelly Maroney the most like a movie star, and we'll get to it as we watch it. The way they film her and the stuff that they give her to do. Uh, Jim Wynorski, you'll know him from a lot of late night titty <laughs> flicks and whatever. Uh, but... Yeah, the um, <laughs> I guess the notoriously cantankerous Jim Wynorski. Yeah, he's friendly on Facebook though. Be Facebook friends with Jim Wynorski. Just just don't start <laughs> shit with him. But look at his posts. You know, he's a guy that you know loves movies. I say he's a el- at this point now he's an elder statesman of B movies, but um. Like this movie, I, I like this is the movie that made me a Wynorski fan and shows that he does have true talent. He just, you know, sometimes the budget's too low and he can't do a lot. But it seems like he loves to make movies no matter what. And there's an awesome documentary called Papatopoulos out there, which documents <laughs> him making like a horrible like three day shooting like softcore porno type movie or whatever. He that is that is it is a good documentary. It it doesn't. Uh... It 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 shows the good, the bad, and the ugly of him. I think. <laughs> you got it synced back up, Bird. Uh, I just got to the screen that says the commentary contains views that don't represent Lionsgate or whatever. Uh-oh. So uh, <laughs> we're doing. Uh, okay. Okay, we're good. Okay, you got it. at Concord presents. Yeah. Okay, we are ready to roll now. This kind of, but we went back to the old days of the graveyard. The very first few episodes, we do 10, 15 minute introductions on the show. We cut that out. We jump straight in the movie. But this is kind of a throwback. But it's okay because this movie is ultra, ultra short. We're going to get some scene constructions here. Uh, we have it paused at the three second counter. And I know a lot of you, at the time we're recording this, only the DVD is released. There will be a Blu ray. Probably by the time this comes out, you guys will be watching the Blu ray with this. So, because there's probably going to be, like, different logos and titles and shit, we are going into the movie where it says Concord Presents. On the DVD, it's the first thing that comes up once you play it. It might be some different screens and whatnot on the blue. But we are on black background, kind of pinkish, purplish lettering. says Concord Presents. When I say one, two, three, go, when you hear me say go, hit play on your uh, DVD remote. You ready, Burr? Yeah. All right, everybody. One, two, three, go. All right. All right. No, we were rolling on the chopping ball. Right away, they're going to throw you uh, kind of into a cold opening that's a little bit of a hoodwink here, wouldn't you say, Bird? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I got to say, it's, it's, it's actually good because it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It, it. It's shot like slightly different, like more Norish atmospheric than the rest of the movie, wouldn't yeah. you say? And, yeah, and uh, in a moment, we'll find out why. Exactly. It's just a, just a robber guy breaking in. He's in the middle of a shopping mall breaking into a jewelry uh, display, stealing some pearl necklaces and shit. And next, here you go. Here comes one of the kill bots. <laughs> the, uh, the Chinese, he, he shoots it with a gun. It does die. It's, it's like a, for people who haven't seen this movie, Bird, it's like a tank-like robot, right? Like probably about yeah, it's, four uh, feet it's, tall, tank Yeah, treads. it's, yeah, it's... It's not quite like uh, what's that 
short circuit robot's name? Yeah, it's like the bottom half of Johnny Five, but there's really no top to it. It's just a base and a head, and like yeah. it, it really doesn't have. It does have arms on it, but it's they're not real arms. Like they're like those little toy. They actually are those little toy grabber things that you have as a kid, the robot hands. <laughs> but they really don't need arms because as they show here, they have like uh, tranquilizer darts that shoot out. It doesn't really show it in this beginning part, but they also shoot lasers out of their eyes. So. <clears throat> and um and here we are three minutes into the movie and it says the end and then we yep. cut, then we cut the yep, projector. that was good bye yeah, hope you guys it. like the cut bye <laughs> yeah later <laughs> we said it was an ultra short movie we weren't kidding <laughs> yeah turns out it was actually a big um presentation by this company who makes these awesome security robots and they are at, at a mall and it's like a, a group of people well, these are supposed to be business people wouldn't you say bird yeah, this is um, you know they're trying to to pitch this as I guess the next big thing in uh, you know mall security. Yeah, and if you, uh, if you look close at this, there's a lot of uh, genre vets in this crowd here posing as the mall owners, business owners, whatever they're supposed to be. Angus Scrim is actually back here in the back, and and they're like a very very wide shot. He stands up and asks a question, but it's like if somebody didn't point him out to you, you never know in him. But up front. And- um, oh, I was just going to say, allegedly, also uh, in the front row, that uh, allegedly Paul Bartel and Mary uh, uh, Waranov are playing the same characters from that they right. were in Eating Rubble. Yeah, I find that a hard stretch. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, they, like I, these characters, they could be anybody, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, they have like two lines, and when we say characters, we, we really mean extra, glorified extras. But uh, there, there you go, Bird. Uh, I recently got a movie projector, and because uh, I don't really have a permanent theater set up, I have that that screen that they're using looks exactly like my screen. <laughs> it's funny how like uh, I guess tripod screen technology has not changed whatsoever in thirty years. And um, it's, do I know the, the, who the guy is giving the presentation, or does he just look like Russell Crowe? He just looks like Russell Crowe. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know this guy either, but he stands out. Like, when you first see him giving this presentation, you think he's going to be, like, a main character for the company with the robots or something. Because, like, this guy has a, I'd say he has a good presence for being in a, you know, a bit part in a B-movie and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, We should mention that this mall, um, it it was uh, the mall from Fast Times at Ridgemont High and um, Phantom of the Mall. That's right? right, the Sherman Oaks Galleria and also Commando. Oh, you should do the Phantom of the Mall. I should. You know, I actually, uh, we'll we'll talk about that off air. <laughs> we'll talk about that off air. Because um, I was recently hunting for it and I found it. But Is that on DVD at all? Uh, long out of print, very hard to find. But uh, Okay. Uh, YouTube, but it's very poor quality. So yeah. I, I don't know if we'll be able to do it because can't really make shit out on YouTube. That's where I yeah. found it. <laughs> There's really- other ways you can find things. Yeah, but we don't advocate that here at the 1980s. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not, no. We actually really don't, Bird, in all honesty. Oh, we yeah. hate piracy. Because, <laughs> I mean, we, you know, j- just for a perfect example is, okay, Choppy Mall is getting re-released on Blu-ray. I'm buying a copy. You're buying a copy. There will be somebody who will upload that Blu-ray high-def beautiful copy to whatever torrent, and then... And then they're not going to, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't really, like, care about the morality of whatever, but, it, you know, it's going to hurt the sales, and then... You know, nobody's going to put these movies out anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just sucks that there's so much awesome stuff that hasn't even been released on DVD yet. Yeah, because everybody's torn it up the store. 
<laughs> and uh, here we go with the opening montage. Um, you, you get you get the inside of the Sherman Oaks Galleria, but the outside shots are actually of the Beverly Center. And the reason it is, they were going to shoot in the Beverly Center, um, but unfortunately, they found out that the robots didn't fit on the escalators, which was actually like a pretty they needed to. It was a pretty big plot point that the robots be able to ride up and down the escalators. So after they shot all the outsides of the mall. They had to go shoot at the, you know, the inside of another mall. So it, technically, now here's here's technically two malls in here. But here's Rodney Eastwood. You see the kid with all the fucking uh, records under his shirt? <laughs> yeah. That was the guy who played Joey in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And, uh, I guess 4, okay. he shows up at the beginning and gets killed at the beginning of 4. God damn. I, I mean, it's been a while since I've been to a mall and spent right. a lot of time there, you know, they're, they're not necessarily around as much. I only have a couple around me, but are people always this, are people, are malls really like full of assholes like this? I don't even. Yeah. Like everybody's fighting to use like a <laughs> arcade game. <laughs> and I love this like ongoing, and, this, and like Wynorski, this is his fantasy mall. There was, there, here he goes. There's a kid skating through beauty queen contestants and bikinis just walking around. Of course, you always have your shopping mall, a beauty contest going on uh there, there's a mom at the food court uh here's here's a doofus he sees all the beauty queen contestants he drops all the shit he was carrying there like there's like this kind of they keep cutting back and forth to it this this mom who's trying to get to the food court with her big plate of food and then she like drops it like it was basically like the the metal plate that held the table but there was no table on top so she just dumped all the fucking food on the floor after navigating this maze now, this is one thing I can't verify, but I want to know if this pizza place where they show um, Kelly Maroney, and I think it's Barbara Crampton, right, works here with her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I want yeah. to know if this is the same pizza place that um, they were working at at Fast Times, because it's the same mall. Yeah. And, yeah. like, I don't know, like, I haven't really compared them back to back, which I should, but, like, the, it's the same color scheme, but it kind of looks like the different restaurants. So I'm wondering if they shot a different pizza place. Because I know this one, they shot, like, all the shit at the mall, except for a few, like, parts that got blown up towards the end that they had to recreate on a stage. But And all I know, though, is I would l- love to go to a pizza place that just had Roger Corman movie posters all over the wall. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like with shopping mall, you gotta like either embrace it all or embrace it not at all. You know, you you gotta either love it or leave it. But that's the one thing I will be a little bit critical of is like it just really didn't make any sense that there was Roger Corman posters. Yeah, there's a like Deathstalker and Slumber Party yeah. Massacre. This <laughs> like a, a mall pizzeria. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, uh, Bar. I love Barbara Crampton, by the way. I do too, but I love Kelly Maroney more. I gotta say. But um, here we go. Now, like already, let's see. Let me hit the timer. Where are we at? We are eight minutes into this. Already the lightning storm is hitting the mall. Uh, the lightning surge will turn these robots absolutely evil, won't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe it's just Wikipedia giving me weird information, but what what's this about a 95-minute version? I You know, I don't know. Is, is that the – I know originally – when they released this movie in the theaters, it was called Killbots, and it didn't. Yeah, do well. it, was, it was. Yeah, it was retitled. Yeah, it, it, but I don't know if during that retitling process they cut like a lot out because this movie, this version that we have now is one hour sixteen minutes fifty one seconds, so it's like seventy six 
it's basically a 77 minute movie now so yeah uh, and this is the same version that uh when i first saw this on vhs this is the same version that i saw then too so yeah like like uh, my history with this film was it was like basically a summer and a little bit into a fall period where um we had a new house being built so we went to live in my uncle's house for about four months and uh i started running videos back when uh they had video like little mini video stores in supermarkets do you remember that bird oh yeah yeah so- yeah like uh like um Kroger and yep. Farmer Jack and stuff. Yeah, that exactly. you would be able to rent movies at the grocery store. So this grocery store that we would go to, they had movies. And I think in the same summer, I rented and saw for the first time Dawn of the Dead, Choppy Mall, and The Video Dead. Which all, nice. Oh yeah, all three are longtime favorites. Like there, we, there we had the robot. He ripped out the tech. There's like a little, I guess, control room in the mall where they keep the robots. He just ripped out the uh, throat. <clears throat> of the uh, technician there. It was actually know, a good uh, gag. I know I uh, sent you the link on Facebook, but this <laughs> this uh, commentary is actually kind of timely because uh, <laughs> uh, you heard about there was a, a real-life mall security robot that killed a kid. Was there? Like, how, <laughs> yeah. did, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> Let me do a quick Google search. All right. <laughs> But it, like, ran over a toddler or something. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe there actually is a security mall robot. Here, here we get introduced to the guys working at this furniture store. We get the the, the stud played by uh, John Terleski. And then we have the nerdy guy played by Tony O'Dell, who would later go on to do a bunch of episodes of uh, uh, Head of the Class. And then the other guy, I am blanking on his name. I know it's Nick something. Um... I think he's like the son of somebody famous. Let me see. He is. I want to say. Oh shit! I'll just shut up because I'm blanking on the on <laughs> Nick, Nick Seagull, right? Is, I'm trying to think. He's what's his name? Son. Yeah, Nick Seagull was also in Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo. That's what he's. Oh in. wow! What a what a what a filmography! I know right he, there. he only has five credits: Breaking Two, Charles in Charge. School Spirit, Choppy Mall, and the famous Teddy Z, whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> okay, Goat, I was wrong. The The robot didn't kill the child, but uh, it injured it. Uh, okay. A, okay, a 300-pound uh, mall robot runs over toddler. This is from CNN. A mother and father watched in horror as a security robot at a mall in California knocked their 16-month-old to the Ooh. ground and ran over his feet. Oh, my God. That had to be like a tank tread motherfucker, right? Uh, it's like, um, have you ever, have you seen the movie Wally? Yes. You know, like the white robot that he falls in love with? Eve. Yeah, it looks a lot like that, only like, uh, a little less slick. Right. Like, it almost looks like someone watched this movie and was like, how do we update this? Let's make a mall (laughs) robot. (laughs) So some maniac watched this movie and and probably came up with the idea to to make a mall robot, and now it's running over kids. So Exactly. Okay, here we're introduced to kind of the rest of the crew, which is uh, Rick and Linda. Here, played by Russell Todd and Carrie Emerson. I know this Russell Todd guy went on to uh, have his own, like, um, I think it's like a voiceover agency or something. He uh, Russell Todd, he was also in Friday the 13th Part 2. Okay. I want to say he was the guy in the, in the wheelchair, but I'm not sure. I feel like aside from Crampton, a lot of these people didn't uh, do a whole lot after this. Well, I guess Kelly Maroney. 
Yeah, Kelly did some stuff. But even she, like, is still kind of, like, uh, you know, uh, low low radar. Yeah, she just, you know, she kind of, it seems like now she, uh, she still does a lot of stuff with Wynorski, believe it or not. And uh, she, uh, it seems like she mostly does stuff for, like, her friends, projects for her friends and stuff. Yeah. Um, what's his name, Terleski, though, he became, like, a director and did a lot. Like, he, he, he did a lot more acting, but, you know, and I know Tony O'Dell, because I just heard him on a podcast, actually, with Kelly Maroney. I know Tony O'Dell became a big, um, the guy who plays a nerd, he became a big, like, acting coach for TV shows. So, okay. yeah, and, like, he, he, I forget off the top of my head now which ones he was saying, but he did a lot of, uh like different tv shows <clears throat> i'm assuming that's pretty good money because it's real steady work you know what i mean yeah oh yeah terleski is all over the place yeah terleski is very active here we get yeah, the great scene of terleski uh walking up to his girlfriend who um uh works in this sh- clothing store and, and like i've kind of this was weird because like the father of this girl like walks up like in the middle of them making out and he's all pissed off like were we supposed to take it that this was like their family store in the mall because i mean usually it's not <laughs> i mean you know what i'm saying like usually it's not like family stores that are like yeah there's you know, not a lot of mom and pop clothing stores in the mall and i want to say this girl's name is Susie slater and i guess her name in the movie is leslie todd but come on Susie slater is a way better name <laughs> like they should just <laughs> had her use her real name now, did you look her up? Did she do anything? Did she become anybody? I'm I'm looking at it right now. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm not too busy. Uh, yeah. she, she only has 12 credits in between 84 and 94, so it's it seemed like acting was probably a part-time thing for her or something. Yeah. Which, like, you know, me being a big 80s fan, you know, you look, you look up a lot of these, like, people, and you go, oh, they're, you know, you remember them, because you remember, like, one or two movies they're in, and you remember it real clearly, and it's really, when you look it up, there really was a lot of part-time actors, and it wasn't just because, like, they failed and they couldn't get any more jobs, it was just... Well, it's just another job. Yeah, there was things they were doing, and maybe somebody they knew was like, hey, I'm producing a movie, just do us a favor, come down, you know, whatever. Okay, we got to talk yeah, about the, yeah. the infamous locker room scene here now, though, you know, where we can get some nudity in. This locker room scene, and I've always wondered about this, this locker room, like, first of all, I, I've never heard of any mall having a general locker room for all the general employees of the mall. <laughs> but, like, it, it, looked, it looked like one of the hallways that lead down to, like, the pay phones and the bathrooms. It looked like they just took a hallway and shoved some, like, fake lockers in there. And, like, there's, there's like, no shots of, like, no showers or anything like that in there. But there's just, as Kelly Maroney and uh, Barbara Crampton were talking there, there's just girls walking back and forth topless. Yeah. And there's, like, pay phones? Mm-hmm. What kind of locker room has pay phones in it? That's what I'm saying. I think it just was, the, you know, that little hallway that every mall <laughs> has where the phones are and shit and bathrooms. Why did they think the idea of having a slumber party in a clothing store was such a, like, well, great like, idea? It's actually a furniture store. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They go, they go next door. They, we just saw them walk into the furniture store. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to, uh, and I was wondering why I always thought this because obviously these are, I would say these are supposed to be college kids, and I always thought that Russell Todd and uh, Carrie Emerson, the dark hair girl with the curly hair, I always thought they were supposed to be married. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because no married people are like 
so whatever that they're going to go fuck in a in a furniture store over the weekend. <laughs> but yeah, looking at the character names, uh, Russell Todd and Carrie Emerson, Rick and Linda Stanton. So they were a married couple. Because I always got slightly the feeling that they were like a couple years older than the rest of the kids. I still never would have thought they were married, though. That's right. weird. Yeah, it, it I is. love this guy. This guy's awesome. Oh, yeah. What's this guy's name? Garrett Graham? Yeah, you've seen people have seen. I guarantee you, people have seen this guy. He's one of those guys that just kind of shows up. Isn't he Bud the Chud and Chud too? Um, uh, let me verify that. I'm pretty uh, sure he is. He, I know he also has like a real small. Yeah, part. he was. Yeah, yeah, he was Bud the Chud. I'm pretty sure he was a Chucky victim in part two of Child's Play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> apparently he just did a movie in 2012 called Cove Road, and in the credits they credit him as Bud T. Chud. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those were some... Also coming to Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, Chud, Bud the Chud. You know, I yeah. don't know. I, like, wh- wh- where are you staying on? Where are you at on Chud to Bud the Chud? I don't <laughs> I don't think that's it's, something I really need a it's not... personal copy of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not good by any means. No, the but... first Chud I kind of get because the name became a really big, like, mm. you know. Well, Bud the Chud was like a weird vampire zombie comedy that was renamed to be Bud the Chud. Yeah, There's was... no Chuds in it. Yeah, like when Bud's I. not when I, Chud. Well, yeah, when I would catch it on cable, I'd be pissed because I, you know, I liked Chud as a, I saw Chud in the theaters as a kid. I actually remember still going to see it. And I liked those monsters because they were so scary. I mean, you watch it now, it's kind of a slower pace or whatever you know, exploitation movie, but, and then Bud the Chud 2, I'm like, oh, they made a Chud 2, I see it on, on, uh, cable one time, and it's just the corniest shit, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, the first Chud is also coming out soon, uh, from Arrow. Nice. Yeah, I know Arrow is also bringing over to the U.S., they, it's been out in the U.K. for a while, but they're bringing over to the U.S., I believe, The Stuff and Vamp. Yeah, the stuff just came out, and uh, I'm not sure if Vamp is out, but uh, God bless them. God bless Arrow Video. Okay, now this is this is the great party scene in the first... Garrett Graham just got killed real quick by the... So all the technicians are dead. The robots are running amok. But this actually is a great piece of filmmaking, because... And then also from, uh, I think there was another uh, Roger Corman movie, Street Walking. You know, they, they have uh, a great uh, song here. Uh, and I never there noticed was... the song until actually I did a commentary for this movie a few years ago with my friend Dale, and he was like, "Yeah, I love this song, Streetwalking." And I was like, "Oh, I, did, I never even noticed it. It was that song from that Streetwalking movie." And it, I wouldn't have thought of that either. Yeah, Streetwalking is totally. I think like Melissa Leo, Melissa Leo, or somebody's in it when they're really young. It's actually like an exploitation movie about like a teen hooker or something. From what I remember. Melissa Leo did a lot of like uh, B movies. She was in. Um, have you seen Dead Time Stories, the anthology? You know what? Actually, I don't think I have. I think I've just read about it a lot. Because there was like a a segment that was supposed to be like the the three bears or whatever, and Melissa right. Leo was Mama Bear. Oh, well, I think you were going to say there was that great scene just a second ago, or shot. I should have not seen a shot where the camera like. Like, they line up all the kissing couples, and as they break their kiss, the camera goes in between them and kind of reveals, uh, uh, what's his name, Nick Seagal and um, uh, Siegel or whatever his name is, and uh, Barbara Crampton, they're, they're hoisting the nerd out of the bathroom. I guess he wanted to be like Gary and Wyatt in Weird Science and spend the whole party in the bathroom, so they fucking pull <laughs> him out. The bath, the bathroom, which also has Roger Corman posted Exactly. <laughs> the furniture store really <laughs> loves Roger Corman as well. So they pull him out to go meet the new girl. 
or well, I guess not a new girl, but Barbara Crampton's co-worker, which is Kelly Maroney, and they did this great shot where Kelly Maroney kind of spun around in this office chair and the camera pushed it. That was a great, like, movie star kind of, you know. You know, it's it's interesting that, like, those are, for a movie like this, anyway, right. those are, every now and then you get, like, flourishes of, like, interesting right. directorial choices like that. And, I mean, I you know, I'm no stranger to the Wynorski filmography. I've seen, you know... Uh, Piranaconda and uh, right. camel spiders and stuff like that, and even those, like you don't, I don't know, he doesn't, you don't see that kind of stuff anymore. It's just so pedestrian, and I mean, no, he's not the best director, and this isn't the best movie, but you know that does show you that at least it's at one point he did kind of put some thought into you know his compositions and and stuff like that. Well, I'm sure a lot of it probably had to because this is by far his best looking movie. Um, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the cinematographer, but also I think too, probably when you see shit like that, like the nice camera moves and stuff, it's probably just, those were the nights or scenes that they actually had some time with. And whereas I think kind of the problem with is, um, yeah, cinematography on this was Tom Richmond, but I think the problem with all those, those other ones is like, uh, Oh, this guy went on to uh, shoot house of a thousand corpses. So, nice. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I just think with that all that Piranaconda type shit that he does now, like, I feel like he's actually short, you know, and I'm not the only person who said this, I've seen other people say this, I think he's shortchanging himself, and I understand a lot of it probably is just, he's a filmmaker by trade, he doesn't want to do anything else for a living, it's, you know, he's probably going to take a lot of jobs for money or whatever, and, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like they kind of went into that in that Papa Topolis documentary was, he just loves films, like, they show his house, he's got... Like, every cabinet has VHS tapes and DVDs, and, you know what I mean? Like, he just, he always wants to be making something, but, you know, and I guess it kind of sucks, too, that that middle class of filmmaking really doesn't exist anymore. It's like, you know, like, I believe this was an $800,000 movie, and but it actually looks to me like a three or $4 million movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't look any cheaper than, say, something like, uh, I mean, I don't know the exact budgets on these, but something like... Um, the only reason I would say something like Reanimator or maybe Evil Dead 2 or something seems higher budget is because those have so much more elaborate like effect sequences. But as far as how the movie looks and everything, I would say it's on par with a lot of the, you know, a lot of that stuff. Because I'm pretty sure this DVD that, well, I know for a fact this DVD that we're watching because there's like, a, if you watch it all the way through the credits, there's like a little card for like, order more great VHSs from Lightning Video and it has like some fucking address from like 1986 and shit so like this this dvd i know for a fact was taken from not the vhs master but whatever that format is the beta cam or whatever they probably made the vhs tapes out of so i guarantee that blu-ray that you know is just about to come out i i think when we see that bird i think it's going to make this movie look even bigger even better and we're going to see the color palette like way better you know what i mean yeah it should look good but even, uh, and even of course this it, grimy dvd it looks good though yeah. Uh, of course, it was only a matter of time before Barbara Crampton took her clothes off. Exactly. We just talked our way through that. Which... And uh, here they're watching another Ro- Attack of the Crab Monsters, another Roger More Corman Roger movie. Corman bullshit. And, you know, <laughs> Wynorski, he always admired Corman, and this was, uh, from my understanding, you know, his big chance to work with them. So, um, 
I, I guess it really was Wynorski. I mean, like, Deathstalker and all that kind of shit, like, was just up there because that was a Wynorski movie, but all the other Corman posters. Was this the first, because um, it looks like this was his second feature, and uh, from the looks of it, it looks like this is what got him working with the Cormans. Yeah, I, th- um, I think this was the first one, because I know when you, like, you read all the uh, behind the whatever scenes, like, they talk a lot about, I think, Julie Corman being the producer for this and everything. But um, this was this was like Wynorski's third movie or something. Let me see. Okay. Yeah, because he did Lost Empire, which was like, oh no, you are right. This was. I'm trying to. Oh, he did Return of Swamp Thing. He did. Okay. And he did some fun movies back in the day. Didn't yeah, he, he did Deathstalker too. I was see. I was confused. I thought he did both Deathstalkers, but so I, I thought it was like Lost Empire, Deathstalker, Chop Him All, and Deathstalker too. But no, it's actually Lost Empire. Chop him all, Deathstalker to Big Bad Mama, Not of This Earth, and uh, except for the first movie, all you know, this first, those other four were Corman movies. I'm not sure about Return of Swamp Thing off the top of my head, but yeah, it wasn't until, um, you know, I've never seen that Transylvania Twist movie he did either. I, was, I haven't either. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a parody or whatever of horror movies. Yeah. He still works with Corman because uh, Corman did uh, Piranaconda, and yeah, unfortunately, that was only Corman a few years shit ago. Is so cheap now that it's not even enjoyable. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's been hit and miss because like I I like uh, I just watched Sharktopus versus Whalewolf, mm. which I actually thought was a lot of fun, and I liked the first Sharktopus, and then but the one they did between those two was just yeah just boring and yeah. bland, and um, but yeah, it's it's. I don't know. You you don't. I'm not sure if it's just you know they don't. He doesn't get a chance to make as many movies anymore or what. But yeah, you don't see that. Uh, you know, you have any future Joe Dantes or anything in in the in the batch when those movies are released. Well, I think the problem is with you know the the uh, filmmaking techniques and tools that are available now is I think there's no. Like, people went to Roger Corman for their start, because even if the movie is cheap as fuck, it's going to be shot on film and all this. You know, you or me could probably scrape up enough money ourselves to do something on the same budget level that Corman's working at now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that goes, you know, it's not Roger Corman's fault. It just goes to the fact that there's no middle class of filmmaking anymore, because pretty much video stores are dead. Okay, now, here's Dick Miller's big scene. He, he was mopping the floor up. And the water in his bucket looked like actually looked like he was mopping the floor of pure vomit. Yeah, and, and he got. I'm not hes- sure. Yeah, and couple, I'm not sure if he knows how to change a mop bucket or yeah. change a mop head or what. Yeah, you don't use a bucket of puke to clean up some shiny floors in the mall. But he, he like, and then there was even some other janitors that walked by and heckled him. And now here comes the robot, and this is kind of the beginning of the ED-209 type hijinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they have these badges, kind of like you were supposed to show ED-209 to show that you're not a threat or whatever. He shows the badge. The robot doesn't care anyway. He he pretty much shoots a, um, like a little, I don't know what you call it, electrocution wire into the, the, the big pile of... Uh, what was that like? Cream corn vomit. I don't know what. I, <laughs> he was I, there is no reason anyone should be mopping with whatever was in there. I mean, it didn't <laughs> even look like water. Like, it, it, like it had the it, it had the consistency of like more like oatmeal than it did even soup. It, it was not watery at all. <laughs> all right. Uh, no, no. Dick Miller is great though. He he, he is great. <laughs> he didn't have enough time here. 
Now, now here we're cutting back to, uh, you know, there is some nudity in here, like the girls, like this girl's going to show her top, but like, there isn't, like the sex scenes were very kind of, you know, we just get the idea that everybody's fucking while Tony O'Dell and Kelly Murphy are watching the crab monster movie. But uh, here we go, they, you know, everybody's done fucking, the fucking's over with now. You know, the big plan worked, you know, to, to fuck at the uncle's furniture store while he's out of town for the weekend or whatever. <laughs> and, and now here comes the after party of all the fucking in the furniture store. And this is uh, Susie Slater. You know, she just got done fucking. She needs a smoke now. That was a very 70s and 80s thing. Oh, yeah. After sex, everybody had a smoke. Did uh did we get to the goofy line yet where the guy tells his girlfriend that her boobs look like her nipples look like pepperoni? And she gets mad at him, and then he says, but I like pepperoni. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if that was there or not. Because, yeah, she just flashed her boobs. So Terleski, and this is not going to arise any suspicion whatsoever. Terleski walks out in just his blue jeans, no shoes on, no shirt. He, you know, he, at least he remembered to bring a security badge in case a kill bot came across, you know, came across him. And he, he chews his gum obnoxiously. Yeah. I wanted to point that out. That's like an IMDb trivia that he chewed gum in like every scene that he was in in this movie. And I got to say, just <laughs> really not so much this movie, even though I do like him in this movie, just seeing him in other movies. I kind of wish Terleski would have lived longer. He's kind of yeah. the first. Well, he's not the first one to go. And the Killbots already killed like three people already. But he's the first one to go out of the group of kids, you know. Yeah. Um. Do they still have uh, vending machines like this anywhere in the world? You know, I haven't seen one in a long time. For for people, I guess probably under the age of thirty, we're talking mm-hmm. about a cigarette vending machine. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like right in the middle of this mall. And I'm assuming they the production probably places there. But I did used to see cigarette vending machines just out in the mm-hmm. open in public places. Like nobody was carding shit. If you had the yeah. buck fifty, you could get a pack of cigarettes even if you were two. But hell, um, I don't even I don't even remember the last time I saw a payphone. Yeah. Sometimes I see payphones at like pharmacies. It seems like, but um, but no, like I think the last time I seen a cigarette vending machine, and this is I don't even know really where I'm pulling this out of memory, but I know I saw one in a bar one time. Yeah, I probably saw one in a bar in the mid two thousands. Right, that's what I'm thinking too. It's probably not there anymore though. So, no, I'm sure it's not. And I know there are some bars, even though, like, in California, you can't smoke in the bar. I do know there are still some bars that you can at least buy the cigarettes from the bartender. So I've seen that, too. But, but yeah. But I remember the cigarette vending machines in, like, restaurants. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, kind of casual dining restaurants and shit. I remember, um, like, cigarette commercials, too. Oh, yeah. I'm going to see that again. Mm-hmm. Looks like the robot just wanted to hug. Yeah, the, the Terleski, <laughs> he gets shot by a trank dart here and he did a pretty good job of just falling asleep and then we see the robot with his little pinchy hand reaching out a uh, little pincher robot hand reaching out but it cut away we, we didn't see the actual deed being done there the way we did with that. that's okay in a minute we're gonna get to some good stuff yeah we're gonna get some good gore here <laughs> now, Susie slater she's you know, she's waited probably, what, a good 90 seconds for these smokes. Like, you, <laughs> so you can't just bang her and leave her hanging for her nicotine fix. I mean, come on. What, what's with the, the these kids in the background just screwing on this couch or whatever? Yeah, Tony O'Dell and Kelly, Kelly Maroney are having their good good boy, good girl, you know, even more talk here. It looks like they're getting close to kiss. Looks like she's all about it, but... I don't know. I feel like 
you know, he's whatever, not confident enough. Now we get the Michael Bay-esque ass-tracking shot of Susie. Oh, yeah. Because Terleski walking around with no shoot. No shirt, no shoes. Like, that wasn't enough. Now Slater's out here in her panties and just, a, a, like, a, a button-up shirt. <laughs> and I like the fact that she's not scared, like, right away. She's just kind of like, why are you laying in a dark corner of the mall? Get up. Like, <laughs> where's my cigarettes? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, of course, he kind of falls into the light here, and we see, you know... Uh, the kill bot, it didn't really rip his throat. It was more like it slid it, but I don't even know if he could really slid it. Yeah, how, I don't know how that And how the kill bot threw these, uh, like, emergency exit doors open with his tiny <laughs> pincher arms, I have no idea. Uh, this is one of the best, it's not quite on the level of scanners, but this is, is one of my favorite exploding heads coming well, this, up. This is a great scene because instead of the usual thing where like the girl's running and tripping she's actually just getting shot in the back over and over with lasers. And, and I believe this is the first time we've, oh. we've seen that the robots have lasers, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, and eventually the killbot shoots her uh, It's like we said, it's a scanner's moment. Her head completely blows the fuck up. Great exploding head. Yeah, and the the rest of the the kids who uh, were fucking in the in the furniture store, they were all standing there watching, and you know the brains and shit went flying all over the the front window of the store. Now I gotta give them credit for this being a low budget production. These robots are awesome. They were radio controlled. Usually back in the day, they couldn't really pull off the radio controlled shit. It didn't seem like so like everything was like pushed around on wires and shit. Not the mm. case with the killbots. These these fuckers are you know they were really sitting there with remote controls driving these things all around the mall. That's awesome. Now, like I wonder, I wonder if these parts were the like the set or whatever, or they, if they just blew up all this furniture in the store. Because <laughs> you can kind of tell because they have like all these old TVs on sale at the furniture store in the lamps. You can kind of tell like the furniture in the furniture store is kind of like older, junky, yeah, you know, shit. But, I mean, this is like stormtroopers, like shooting everything that moves type thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is... This is uh, one of those things where you definitely realize why Killbots was probably a better title, because they don't actually do any chopping. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, thing too. They said, uh, I guess because Transformers and GoBots was out, was everybody thought Killbots was like a kid's movie. Why would you think? <laughs> I guess because it was the robot craze, you know? Now well, this... if you're going to title it anything, Chopping Mall would... Because I'm assuming they just did that to trick people into thinking it was a slasher. Cause... Right. Well, they even recut the trailer, which added in scenes of, like, like a robot, like, really like a claw hand that the robots really don't have, if you watch that trailer. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's like a sh- really sharp looking claw hand in the trailer that the robots do not have. The the DVD cover is like a a weird like like Robo cybernetic. Yeah. yeah, it's like a a Terminator arm holding out a shopping bag. And and there's there's even like a girl screaming or getting killed or doing something. There's like some girl in the trailer that's like not even in the movie. I mean, like they're very upfront in admitting that you know when the movie flopped in theaters as Killbots, they uh, now. I've never read that they re-released it in theaters as Chopping Mall. I believe just the video was Chopping Mall, but I, you know, that's much more believable. (laughs) And I think that was the discrepancy with the 95 minutes versus the 77 minute cut. I gotta say, man, isn't it wild to think that movies like this used to come out in theaters 
all the time. Right. And and now they're, you know, I mean, it's, you know, these, these are just sci-fi channel movies now, yeah. you know. Well, like, I, you know, obviously it was a much different time. You know, I, I'm tempted to say people weren't as sophisticated with their entertainment choices, but I don't think people are sophisticated now. I think yeah. just I think just people are willing to accept, you know, back then, like, I'm sure you could go see this movie in theaters for two fifty, three fifty, because I remember the ticket prices being around that. But once everything got to the big megaplexes and the chains and all the bullshit in the mid '90s, like you know, that's when and, it was, that's when it was like ten bucks to see a movie, you know. You and you don't see this kind of um, uh, like high concept exploitation movie anymore, right. really anywhere. I I feel like the exploitation movies we get, the closest thing we have, like we you have the asylum or the sci-fi stuff and i mean that's all fine but that's not you know i mean again they're they're very limited in what they can do if if they do gore or nudity but also like everything that tries to be an exploitation movie is a is a a a joke now you know that's that's the thing bird is like i don't and i don't mean to be shitting on any filmmakers who are like doing their best to make films out of no budgets and all this but like at the same time it's like you know, this movie, I mean, the, by the way, you know, this movie wasn't trying to be high art or anything, but th- they at least take the time to kind of set up the characters before they, like, I watch a lot of these these ones now, you know, whether it be on Netflix or Sci-Fi Channel, like, the people are like mannequins, you don't even know their names, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like they're just, just the way the script is written, it's not really focused on the people at all. Well, I mean, uh, and you know, and and maybe some people would have a kind of a point in uh, oh, Peck and Paws Sporting Goods. Get it? There you go. Um, <laughs> I wonder if there was ever a gun store in a shopping mall anywhere back in the day. <laughs> there had to have been. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like, yeah, you look at the the kind of movies that are out now, and you know, they're. They, they, I mean, people are probably going to think we sound stupid or silly by talking about the script or characters in Chopping Mall, and, and we probably do, to be honest. Um, you know, I don't, I like this movie a lot, but I don't want to give overpraise it for things. But it, there's at least it tries. A, yeah, it, it, there's at least an attempt, and even if it's not a sincere attempt, at least it's someone saying like, okay, we're getting all the, we're going to establish this stuff. And now you don't really get that as much. No. I mean, just like, you know, and I'm sure that original version, the Killbots version, which was like 12 minutes longer, I'm sure that had way more character stuff in it. You know what I mean? But, yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know, like, like even though this, you know, this, this movie kind of has like the stereotypes, like the nerd guy, the stud guy, you know, the young Mary, like, whatever, like, I don't know, like, I, it, it just, you know... Like it reached it reached the right comfort zone in terms of giving you enough character that you could grasp onto it and believe these as somewhat believable human beings. Like when I watch a lot of these movies now, like I just think the people are just bad actors being bad actors. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's there's not like a real dimensionality to it. And it's it's an earnest and fun exploitation movie. Like I said, now you have the stuff on sci-fi, which you know it's hit and miss, whatever. But you know they're limited in what they can do with in terms of gore or right. uh, effects or nudity and something like this. And okay, so if if it's not part of that sci-fi channel kind of movement, it's uh, it's gonna be like something that that is kind of uh, tongue in cheek, that where it's a joke. And I mean, right. I like 
I like some stuff like that. Like I love Hobo with a shotgun, and but you don't like movies like that are so common where it's like, oh look, haha, we're being super retro and and we're getting all meta about it. And okay, sure, there's a place for that. There's been some good stuff like that, but. Like what? What was the last gory movie about? You know, uh, robots. <laughs> you know, like, or anything like that. Like it, it, it doesn't happen anymore. Everything's either a joke or everything is on straight to TV. Um, well, there, and like, it, I, if I, not, I it's it's some ho- shitty homemade zombie movie that someone made in their backyard. Like, right. I feel like too. Like like this whole scene that just went on here, where these guys walked out of the the gun store with the guns and they kind of had like the, you know, the wild bunch or magnificent seven type, like kind of homage shot. And then they shot up the robot and like, there was just a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of like intent and directorial choices. Like, you know, be like, there was a lot of different shots and it was shot on film. So it looked good. The special effect of the robot looked like a real explosion. You know, there's just a lot of laziness now with this handheld camera. There's not that many different camera setups. The editing's not really tight. It's just all this kind of shaky cam bullshit, you know, because it's quicker and cheaper to shoot that way. And then the explosions that you would see in most movies now are just a, a $10 After Effect digital whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there actually was something to be said for when you had kind of, you know, had to make films, quote-unquote, by hand, and literally everything you want to show in the movie, you had to physically shoot it and create it and pull it off, plan it, pull it off. Like, I think just that whole process of how much harder films were to make back then, in a way, it kind of weeded out the less talented, less devoted filmmakers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you combine that with, like, things like uh, the Internet... I mean, you can do a Kickstarter, and then you can upload your movie to YouTube. I, I mean, I think that there's so many more voices now, which isn't necessarily a bad thing either, because you know you can find great stuff that way. But it also, it's like you said, there's it's just more noise and more to right. weed through. <laughs> I love the I love this by the way. Where, where the the robot the, backs the up. Robot, <laughs> yeah, the robot. This, place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the robot. Yeah. I mean, just you know. It, it's, you know, and a lot of people just kind of excuse it and go like, well, it's, you know, it's 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 2015 now. The future is here. And it's like, that's just a late, you know, you can't just accept lesser quality just because in general there's lesser quality. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, there was still plenty of awful stuff being made back then, too, but... But yeah, I just, I miss, I, I just, I can't admit, the fact that this came to theaters at all right. is, like, mind-blowing to me. Like, the, it's just, I, I don't know, I, I don't know why, I feel like even on the indie circuit movies, this type of B-movie doesn't really get made anymore. And and even even if they were, and they were coming straight to VOD or whatever, I'd be fine with that. But it's just the fact that the, the loss of this kind of movie is what is the most bothersome yeah. and by the way for people listening i know it's 2016 almost 2017 i said 2015 on purpose because <laughs> like i just feel like i don't know it's like you like when people bring up the argument that it's such and such year i find that to be such bullshit like when people when like when Norsky was making this movie and it's probably like three in the morning and they're trying to get this phony robot to roll around or whatever you know, he couldn't just be like, well, it's 1986, like, movies aren't as good as they were 20 years, like, <laughs> like you know, but now, yeah. like, that's an excuse, like, I won't name any, you know, to avoid whatever, 
not really controversy, but just going into it more. You know, there's a lot of films now that either have remakes, reboots, sequels made 30 years after the last whatever. And a lot of people are like, well, this is the the 2015, this is the 2016 version of this XYZ franchise. And I feel that's bullshit. You know, just to say, just because the audience doesn't have an attention span or doesn't care that we just have to kind of hurry things up and make the colors pretty and make the explosions big, that's a complete cop-out. Like, you know, like it or not, like, this is an art form. And, like, even though something like Chopping Mall was probably looked at as, like, the lowest of the low exploitation film, you know, at the time it was made, like, everybody who worked on it was a professional and was trying hard and wanted to go on to bigger and better things. And most of the people on the crew and stuff did. So, I mean, to me, that speaks, you know, a lot of people who make, like, Sharknado 6, they're probably not going to go on to huge careers afterwards. Well, I mean, a lot of that was common back then, like, um... Like uh, Brian Singer, his first professional movie job was Street Trash. Right. Yeah. That's that's him off camera throwing that guy's severed penis. <laughs> you know, and and now he's making these big movies. Um, now he's making. Now he's throwing X Men penises around. <laughs> but um, I will. And I mean, I will say that you know, um, just a, a movie that doesn't have. I mean, I'm not 100% against CG like you are. Like, I think it's a great tool that can be used, but it can also be abused. But I don't know. There's there's always something refreshing about seeing something like uh, where, you know, the you know the the look of the movie or the settings aren't all artificial. Like, um, right. and I mean, that's not even to say movies that do that are bad. Like, I mean, um, well, I mean it's been. I- a- I mean, take blockbusters the- have been shitty this year, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I love, but I loved Civil War, and I mean, you know, yeah, they're, they're, like every scene's a green screen practically, and but so it's not a make or break thing, but you know, when um, when you do see a movie that like isn't so reliant on digital color correction and uses natural lighting, it's it's always like kind of sad to think like, wow, like movies used to just look like this all the time. Well, it kind of, you know, when you talk about things being just a tool and not, you know, like, like the robot shooting the lasers out of his eyes, you know, that was, a, you know, it was kind of more of an analog cartoon compared to what CGI is now. But like that's that, like that effect, that's a tool, but they still build a robot and they still caught a lady on fire here. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, I think I think the thing with like digital tricks and whatnot is you still got to have 75 percent either practical or shot in camera setup or something to kind of sell the illusion when everything becomes a fantasy you know what i mean like like so much of this movie its intensity chopping mall i think is the fact that these are the real actors running around large areas you can see them sweating you can see them getting out of breath you know it it it's like that sells the desperation a lot more than the quick cut kind of artificial stuff that they make now you know what i mean i mean they literally started a a a big fire you know uh when that girl accidentally caught on fire when she's trying to throw the bomb at the i mean think about that bird they they had a fire in a real shopping mall overnight (laughs) like yeah you know they 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 threw gas down (laughs) on the floor and it was actually burning on the uh you know the tile floor there you know what i mean like you just you don't you know i don't know how much of that was was you know they had permission for they might have kind of just gorilla you know got away with it but like still like you know it's like there's a lot of work that goes into this old shit and like that's why i think kind of yesterday's trash quote unquote like i wouldn't call it trash but what a lot of people at the time just consider trash or junk food cinema type thing like 
I think it has a lot more artistic merit than yeah. a lot of the stuff that comes out now, you know. Well, I'll call it trash, but I'll call it that affectionately, you know. Right. Because, um, I, I mean, it, it's weird that, like, uh, I almost kind of went backwards with, like, being a, a movie fan. Because, yeah, I started with, you know, sci-fi movies and kaiju movies and Star Wars. But, like, throughout high school and middle school, like, I was always looking for, like, weird exploitation movies or something just completely crazy and offbeat and it wasn't until my college years that i started to see more mainstream movies and like watch more classics and stuff like that like even with like the comic book stuff that i'm into now like i didn't see the first x-men movies in the theater uh i saw those on dvd like years later i think the only the i think i saw Sp- the first spider-man in theaters but like spider-man 2 i didn't i caught on video later because that was still when i was in that phase where you know, I didn't want to watch what everyone else was watching. I wanted to go to the video store and, you know, dig up something like this. Well, I, I think when you dig, you know, and that's kind of, you know, I think there's a real value to having that adventurous experience, uh, you know, spirit. I mean, that's how I discovered this film. Like, I'd never heard of it. I picked a box up off the shelf. I mean, it probably helped that I was... 11 years old at the time you know but at the same time like i would still give this movie a chance today i mean there's still movies all the time that i find that came out in the 80s early 90s i've never heard of as like oh you know i rent it or, or pick up a cheap dvd or something like that but it's just like you know it, it's you know it's it's hard too because it's like and i and i've kind of went back to seeing a lot more mainstream stuff the last few years and now i'm kind of swinging the pendulum back the other way i'm i'm kind of tired of it because you know the mainstream stuff as good as some of it is some of the times it's kind of like a lot of the same i would say Mm -hmm. whereas like when you get into this kind of weird obscure shit you know like you kind of get a different shade i mean this movie in itself chopping mall is very bizarre i mean when is there it's an action movie that takes place and by the way it it takes place long before die hard came out so it's not even like die hard in a mall but it's like (laughs) you know it's like you know even like there was a scene earlier where the girls were crawling crawling through the uh air ventilation shafts this movie would have came out after die hard everybody would have said that they ripped this you know off of die hard or whatever but um i mean you know kids trying to have sex in a furniture store in a shopping mall killer robots i mean it's kind of like base and dumb and silly as that sounds that's actually a lot more creativity that goes into a lot of movies now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's funny because uh, I was talking about how, like, I was just kind of brainstorming, and the only movies that I feel like captured the kind of fun earnestness of the exploitation movies back then were probably, at least for me, probably the Piranha and My Bloody Valentine remakes, but <laughs> those were remakes, you know? Right, right. They they were kind of, you know, they were trying to recreate that. You know, the directors of those films loved the uh, kind of drive-in, B-movie, grindhouse feel of the originals. Yeah, and, and I think one of the reasons I like both of those movies so much is it didn't feel like they were trying to be all retro about it and they weren't trying and you know they weren't trying to make it funny i mean piranha 3d yeah but you know the original piranha was already a comedy but right. you know i mean it's it, it's not taking the you know every shot is a from another movie the the kind of like tarantino you know pastiche of gluing together shots and 
kills and stuff, which isn't to discredit discredit Tarantino because he's very good at that. But there's lesser filmmakers where you know, especially in the indie horror movies, where well, you know they, you get into they that steal thing where and they try to pass it off as their own. That's a problem. Yeah, and, and and usually those movies, each character is named after like Romero or a Carpenter, Cronenberg, right. and that's the you know. Worst. <laughs> that's the worst. Even if you're trying. Now we just had a scene where a guy. Um, uh, Nick playing Greg, his girlfriend was the one who burned up earlier. They kind of had like a nice catch your breath moment where they were hiding out of the pizza shop and then they made another run for it and the robot kind of like jumped out of nowhere or rolled out of nowhere I should say and grabbed him and pulled him off the uh, the top of the third floor and like that was a very impressive stunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you believe trivia, internet trivia, Wynorski did the same stunt from like the second floor to show that it was safe, but he actually broke his ribs supposedly doing it. Yeah, this is why you let the stuntmen be the ones yeah. to prove that it's safe. Exactly. Like I get he was trying to like say like, oh, this is safe, I'll do it myself. But yeah, I think the same thing happened to Savini when he did his mall jump. Like he did like a run through or something. And, like, he missed the bag and got fucked up, and they kept it secret for a long time, but eventually he admitted he got fucked up. <laughs> uh, man, just leave this. Leave the stunts to the professionals, guys. Exactly. But uh, talk about a breakneck. I mean, obviously, like we've been saying, there was Killbots was originally 95 minutes. Choppy Mall was 77 minutes. So, But still, I'm, I'm still impressed by this breakneck pace. You know, we only had, like, really since, you know, all the action started, the, you know, the kids going on the run... We only had that one scene of them kind of hiding out of the pizza place, which kind of showed the Greg character um, kind of, you know, getting depressed and suicidal and whatever. And, like, I thought he was going to be, like, the Hudson who would run out and try to shoot yeah. all the robots. But, you know, he actually just got taken by surprise and thrown off the balcony. Oh, you know what other movie I would kind of group in there? And I'm not sure. I don't know if I've ever even talked to you about this movie, but I like it. Uh, that kind of has the same kind of feel, was for at least for me, was Snakes on a Plane. Yeah, like, I mean, it obviously was a little more... Well, what's funny was it it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it seemed like it was more, like, after the fact. Yeah. It seemed like the original attention wasn't that it was going to be wink-wink, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like, it it was just a... It had that, but it also had, like, enough earnest... Right. Like... It, it felt earnest enough to be like a real B movie. That, and it had you know, some sleazy shit too, like the people having sex in the bathroom. Like it, yeah, it yeah. threw in enough sleaze to make it kind of seem real, you know? Yeah. Like that's what I look for in a B movie. Same with, I mean, Chopping Mall, which, oh yeah, we were talking about this crappy transfer. Uh, if IMDb is to be believed, it says the film's negative was tied up in legal limbo. Wow. So the Lionsgate DVD edition of the film was mastered from a lightning video VHS master. Yeah, I, I called it. I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. To, I wish Lionsgate would have, like, put out on YouTube or something. I wish Lionsgate would have just put out, like, a clip of what the HD transfer is going to look like. Because I have a feeling it's going to look so much better than what we're used to seeing with this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, especially if if this was really sourced from a VHS master. Then... Yeah. Um, is, uh, is the full frame, uh, is this the movie's... Well, I guess if it came out theatrically in the 80s, they would have uh, I, uh, blocked it for widescreen. Yeah, but... yeah. I, I assume like many 80s movies, they shot it full frame and then blocked it for theatrical. And then yeah. obviously, you know, there was an advantage to that back in the day because all the TVs were square. And then you can just use the full frame for the VHS, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's not pan and scan. No. It's just 
yeah, yeah. more at the top. But you know. another movie like that is Reservoir Dogs. If you mm-hmm. have like the DVD version that has both, like if you watch the full frame, it literally is full frame. It's not. You know, yeah. it's not pan and scan. A lot of movies in the 80s and 90s are like that. Um, I think Aliens is another one. Um, yeah, like, I know a lot of Cameron stuff he shot on that Super 35 format, which was, like, the idea was, like, you could, like, crop it down to, like, you know, if it wasn't full frame, it was close to, like, a full frame image, and then you could crop it down to, like, pretty much any whatever that yeah. you wanted to, you know what I mean? I know uh, Evil Dead was that way too. Right, which would totally make sense. But yeah, here we here we kind of get another, you know, because they're getting picked off one by one. They're just trying to wait it out in the store, but they, you know they didn't realize the uh, the uh, killbots had a surgical laser where they could they just slice that <laughs> that door open. But uh, yeah, like we'll get down to it in a minute here. Um, the married couple it's pretty much just the married couple and then kelly maroney and tony odell left and i kind of wish this foursome would have lasted longer like this movie's very aggressive with the body count i believe it has a body count of 10 that i read but i would actually liked it if the married couple made it out alive i'm not gonna lie i kind of like their characters so go you were saying uh you think that this movie made better use of kelly maroney than most films what what exactly well, not, well, not, you well Night of the Comet is definitely I think like she did a movie and this was you know not her 80s period she did a movie in the late 90s called Face Down which actually was with the director of Night of the Comet and he wrote a role specifically for that it was like a film fatale I cannot find that movie anywhere I mean I could get a VHS but I'm, I'm trying to track down a Greek DVD import of it but in terms of like her young period, her teenage whatever period, Night of the Comet by far kind of showcased her, gave her the best character I would say work with. But this movie I think treated her more like the big, like a star, because like we kind of had the moment earlier where she was the one, she kind of became the tough chick where she grabbed the pistol out of the nerd's hand and then shot the bomb to make it go off and. You know, and she kind of goes back to a little bit of being like the damsel, a little bit. But once she sees that, like all these guys are wimps that are pretty much left, like the married couple just got off now. The the woman got um got a laser to death pretty much, and then Russell Todd jumped onto a go- golf cart pretty much <laughs> and slammed into <laughs> the road with a fucking golf cart, and then that somehow released electrical charge that killed him. But you know, but this movie like. And it's really, it's really not even, we haven't really even seen it. We've got that one little flash of her being badass. But the way they shoot her, and when she becomes the final girl, like, they really, like, I think, like, I think they elevated her to, like, full Jamie Lee Curtis, like, horror heroine status in this mm-hmm. one. Because not of the comet was a little bit different. It wasn't, like, the movie was fantastical, but the action scenes were very down to earth. Whereas, like, this one, like, she really goes into, like, full Linda Hamilton, whatever. So, I mean, I think, and, like, recently I saw for the first time The Zero Boys, which was a good, it's a good movie, but it's not on the level of Choppy Mall or neither Comet. And it's kind of the similar thing in that one, too. Like, as the group gets whittled down, Kelly becomes more of, like, the survivor. Although it's, it's much more realistic in that movie because it's more of a slasher. Like, she's still scared the whole time. Mm-hmm. Where this movie, she kind of becomes badass. But I think this is the movie for sure that has the best portrayal of young Kelly Maroney as a quote-unquote movie star. You know what I mean? Like they And obviously, you know, Night of the Comet was a theatrical release. And it was, 
Actually, it wasn't bigger budget than this, but it had the illusion that it was, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I think this movie, Wynorski, like, like I, I think for a hundred percent sure he cast her in this because of neither the comment and like he knew that she was kind of she was probably the hottest one in terms of coming off a theatrical release like the year before they shot this or whatever. So I think he really kind of tried to elevate her status here. Yeah. Well, it's kind of telegraphed at the beginning when, you know, she's introduced and, you know, she's like the nerdy girl. But, <laughs> yeah, she kind of goes above and beyond as far as, you know, being a final girl. Yeah. And I mean, like, 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 and I've heard her say that, you know, like, she was kind of like a ripoff Linda Hamilton in this. But, I mean, I guess maybe that was the template. And it's obvious to say that, um, you know because this is also a killer robot movie the way the Terminator was. But at the same time, like, like I, I feel like her kind of heroine wasn't, like, as generic. Not that Linda Hamilton was generic, but, but like, I, did, I never saw it as a cynical ripoff. I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. Like, I thought it was very organic. It, like, you know, like, I feel like that's kind of what people do in real life. Like, not everybody's a natural-born leader, even if they have it in them. It's kind of more when the situation arises in out of necessity. They kind of spring yeah. into action, if that makes sense. Now, this part you can tell is, like, not the mall. It's just, like, a junk <laughs> warehouse at the Corman-like studio or whatever. Because there is a mismatch of all kinds of shit. I think you even see, like, a G.I. Joe toy. Yeah, there's a G.I. Joe helicopter in the background <laughs> with, like, lawn garden shit strewn everywhere. But, uh, I, I, you know, I also think, too, I mean, this is kind of like a sci-fi horror with these robots and whatnot, but I think this, you know, the reason why, for me, 80s horror works better than, you know, really 90s horror kind of had a different spin on it. It was trying to be more youth culture, but I think 80s horror, and I think a lot of it had to do with Stephen King, but there was this thing of trying to make everyday, ordinary places scary. Mm-hmm. And I think I think this is a, you know... You know, kind of like how, you know, Stephen King just took a regular family dog and made it scary. Or he would take, like, you know, uh, like Maximum Overdrive. He takes a truck stop and makes it scary. I think, think you know, subconsciously, like, that works. Like, you know, especially this. I mean, there had already been Dawn of the Dead, but that was more of, like, a sweeping epic. But, like, you know, they really shoot the shots here creepy. Like, when Tony O'Dell was running down the hallways, the narrow hallways, I mean... It's just like you never know what's going to pop out next. You never know what's going to happen. It's like nobody thinks they're going to get murdered in a shopping mall. Yeah, um, for sure. And especially by robots. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of above and beyond. But but still, I mean, you know, and like... Even Dawn of the Dead, kind of, like, even even though it's always the zombie apocalypse, but it kind of, the mall kind of looks like it's always open for the most part in that movie, whereas this, it's very much the minimal after-hours lighting, so it's kind of like the scary, dark version of a shopping mall. Yeah. Um, yeah, and with it taking place at night, you know. Yeah, I mean, everything's always automatically scarier at night. There, there. We had Tony O'Dell. He, the, the, the. Uh, he was. I guess he's trying to throw the fire extinguisher or hit the killbot with it. And I don't like, know why he thought that was a good yeah. idea. Well, especially after his gun ran out of bullets. <laughs> like if bullets aren't killing this thing. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now Tony O'Dell, quote unquote, died. The, the robot just picked the fire extinguisher up, threw it back at him, sent him flying, probably a good ten feet, 
Of course, he busted his head on the uh, concrete floor, started bleeding everywhere. Now, this is really where Kelly becomes action heroine, and, you know, obviously, the, you know, this movie went, we keep bringing up, went from 95 minutes to 77 minutes, but I, I bet they probably didn't, you know, uh, cut anything out of this sequence, and I think it's good. I I think that, you know, the this is actually the movie's, you know, as as much of a fun, wild romp as it is, this is where the movie gets really interesting when it's just down to her. Because they oh, this is a great scene too with uh, <laughs> her in the pet store. Yeah, it's it's just like her trying to run away from the robot. You know, th- like they had all these machine guns and shit earlier that didn't work. You know, there's still the robot left. She has nothing left to fight with. Like she's really just running for survival at this point. You know, trying to you know figure out a plan on the fly. And this yeah. is uh, another great little gag. Was the um, the name of the pet store? Pet store is uh, Roger's Little Shop of Pets. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah, <laughs> obviously re- re- referencing Little Shop of Horrors, which uh, Roger Corman produced way back in the day. But uh, yeah, and this is like this a, really is a fun scene too. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I love yeah, I love you know the tarantulas and the snakes break out, and you know there's another threat. <laughs> yeah, it's in addition it, to robots. Yeah, it's funny because it's like something you don't think about. Like the robot, obviously, he you know he's he knows she's in her somewhere. He's trying to track her. But obviously, because he's this big, bulky robot, he's just knocking everything over. Snakes are coming out. You know, these these tanks are busting. Tarantulas, snakes coming out. And and to me, whenever I always watch this movie, to me, this looked like like the worst part or the worst thing that Kelly Maroney had to go through. But she claimed that she was fine with the animals and she liked them. And you know, there was wranglers there, and it was all done professionally and good and everything like that. So. But, you know, especially because you know this is a low-budget movie, when you watch it, it seems like it's, like, very (laughs) kind of, I don't know, risky. (laughs) Well, scenes like this really kind of, like, I mean, I'm just being reminded for for a movie, for, like, a dumb movie that is so low-budget and, you know, such a silly concept, and it it really is uh, very ambitious, you know, yeah. I mean, and, and like we're, you know, the whole thing we were talking about before, you know, Wynorski is like, okay, I got a robot, you know, being a bull in a china shop, so to speak, in a pet store, you know, like, but he tried to make it scary and he did make it scary. Whereas now it just, everything would be played for laughs, I feel like. It's as suspenseful as a scene like this in a movie like this can get. Right. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, here we have the sign of Roger's Little Shop of Pets. Which I'm even impressed that they had the money to make like all these fake signs for the uh, stores that they like kind of broke into. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier too. You know, like peck and paws and all that. Here's here's another great little stunt. You know, she's kind of running out of places to hide the uh, these robots. They actually, and I'm sure the, the you know they uh, oh Crush Groove is playing at the movie theater. Check that. <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, I saw that. Um, <laughs> These robots could actually go pretty fast. I mean, it looks like they could go about, I'd say probably about seven to eight miles an hour, which, I mean, that don't sound like a lot, but if you're trying to outrun something that's going that fast and it's a robot, you're going to wear down. So here we have, you know, instead of just hiding somewhere, she hung off the, uh, basically the railing of the, uh, looks like she's on the, this looks like a three-level mall. She's on the second and uh, this is another thing. I mean, some some shots it looks like a stunt double, but she actually did hang off there, and like they had her harnessed up. And like, uh, you know, I read that she did a lot of her own stunts for this movie, and um, I heard her talk about it. Like she said, it was completely safe. She had the harness, so 
I don't know. Like, I mean, she did do, I guess, three movies in a row, kind of, with Night of the Comet, this, and Zero Boys, where you could kind of call her a scream queen, but I don't know. I, I feel like Kelly Maroney should be a more famous of a scream queen than she, than she is known for. Well, I feel like Night of the Comet is such a cult fan base right. that it's huge that alone, point, yeah, yeah, I feel like that alone should do it. Yeah. Is this mall still around? Actually, it's not. I was going to talk about that, um, and I talked about it a little bit on the com- Commando commentary. This mall was damaged in an earthquake of, like, 94. This mall was actually, I believe, parts of it were used in T2 as well. I always wanted to go through this mall, mostly because of Fast Times and, um, and this movie. And, uh, yeah, sadly, the earthquake damaged it. And what sucks is they really um, fucked it up when they rebuilt it. It became one of those crappy outdoor malls. I mean, this was, like, a huge mall. Like, you see how huge it is. And uh, it just became this really small kind of um, outdoor thing, which had a few restaurants in it. Like, I've been to it a bunch of times, but it just was never anything special. And there's a movie theater there, too. But, yeah, like, the actual mall that you see in this movie does not exist. The only thing that I've I've seen in these movies where it made appearances is there's a scene in Commando where Ray Don Chong runs down the front steps. That's the only thing that's still there is the front steps, sadly. That's a cool-looking mall, though. It's very cool, very modern. Like, I always say that sometimes stuff built in the late 70s, early 80s looks more futuristic than the shit we build now. <laughs> um, also, I wanted to say that this is the kind of movie that used to be on TV all the time. Right, right. Like, I saw and... it initially on that VHS, but then I caught it so many times on syndicated TV. Like, um... I mean, I know Trev has especially been on a real kick lately with uh, Monster Vision and USA right. Up All Night, but I feel like even just like in the middle of the day on like a HBO or something, you, you know, even like you would see this movie at random times. And I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I. I just feel like with how many movies me and probably you also first saw on TV, the fact that. It, no one really wants to play a movie that's more than like ten years old. Yeah, on TV. even on the, <laughs> the very deep shitty movie channels, they don't. Yeah, there's a. We got to talk about this action scene. She lures him into this paint store in the mall, which is hilarious that there's a paint store in the mall. But um, she puts all the paint thinner and shit on the floor, so he kind of spins out and can't get traction. And she throws a flare in it. And I love the little effect they put on her voice. She says, "Have a nice day," because that's what the robots always say after they kill people. Have a nice day. And she says, have a nice day, and she torches the fucker up. And uh, part of this, and you can't tell when you watch the movie at all, I don't think, but part of this was a fake store, and they kind of just put the carpet there that matched the mall carpet, and, like, you totally can't tell the way they edit it and cut it together, what's what's the real mall and what's the, the storefront that they blew up. Um... Apparently the security chief at the mall really... Hated them making this. Yeah, you know why that is? Is actually because when they shot Commando here, they really fucked it up and didn't give a shit, and so they I guess they broke a lot of shit or whatever. So like Chopping Mall, like yeah, they're like you're not going to come in here and do that bullshit too, and like yeah, made it a little tougher on them, from what I understand. Does say the mall's owner had a a friendly relationship with them though. Yeah, I guess he stepped in and kind of took the heat off them until they could finish. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if I was that guy and Arnold just came and fucked my mall up, I'd get the shit up and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be pretty upset too. 
And I always, I always thought this, you know, it's always obligatory at the end of the movie, the hero or heroine, you know, always had that ending where they limp away in the happy ending. But I, I actually think it's really done well in this movie. You know, she limps away, and we see that um, Tony O'Dell, you know, he didn't die. He just basically got his head cracked open. He's alive. Yeah, and it's kind of like a nice semi-romantic, whatever, you know, friendly. And I, I don't know, I, I like the chemistry Kelly Maroney and Tony O'Dell have in this movie. It's really good. That's kind of a fun, I mean, usually fake-outs like that are kind of annoying. But I don't know, yeah. it's, it's kind of a fun change of pace, especially... Every other movie, horror movie that came out at the time, you know, you had your final girl, you know, uh, walking out of this on her own. And here you have, you know, she actually is reunited. And it ends it's, with a great shot of them. You know, now it's daylight. Daylight's coming out of the, the rooftop, you know, kind of skylight of the mall. I love that pan up shot at the end. It was great. And then we get we get treated to the old style credits of, you know, quick clips of the people from the from the movie. And, you know, it has the actor's name. And then the Susie Slater one is great because they actually just freeze frame it on her head blowing up. <laughs> like <laughs> mid-head explosion. It's great. You don't get credits like these these days. No. Occasionally say, you'll see people do them. But. It's, uh, I'll say, um, uh, compared to, like, Reanimator, this was a pretty minor role for Barbara Crampton. Also. Yeah, it was. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of interesting... That you I always forget she's in this. There you go, Susie Slater's head pop. Yeah, because it's it's very you know. But then again, it's like you would think somebody has somewhat of a starring role in one movie, they would continue to have starring roles. But I think a lot of times, you know, working actors need to work. You know, nobody ever all these actors they never got big paydays out of these movies, so they needed to work a. And I think a lot of times it was kind of like probably like oh yeah like when like when they gave her this part they probably knew she was capable much more but this is kind of all they had to offer and it's probably a fairly quick shoot and it was just something she could get in to you know pay the rent a little bit yeah you know i'm assuming but that is interesting i mean they kind of set you know because they have kelly and barbara crampton together in the beginning you know, I could see that going either way. Barbara Crampton could have been the star, but I think I don't know. I just, I just in my mind, I, th- I think with the role Kelly Maroney played in Night of the Comet, I think they probably just thought of her more as the uh, upbeat, you know, kind of spunky girl. I guess you could say. Yeah. But yeah, man. I mean, talk about a brisk running time. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's over this, already. <laughs> yeah, this flew, man. <laughs> yeah, like, like it, uh, you know, usually you want to get into some tangents when you do a commentary because it kind of breaks up the monotony or whatever, but I feel like we barely got a chance to even talk about the movie here. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, a lot of it is just literally the robots chasing, shooting lasers, lasers the kids shooting them with guns and whatnot, but, I mean, it's it's wildly entertaining to steal Jelly's catchphrase. Yeah, well, this is about as good as a movie about killer robots in a mall. Could be uh, can, and should could, be. Could be, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, like, you know, a lot of these actors I wasn't real familiar with, and I didn't see a lot of their other work. But, um, I mean, to me, this is a great ensemble cast. Because, like, kind of everybody, you know, even though, like I said, some of the roles are a little bit stereotypical, like the nerd, the, the kind of stud, the whatever. Um 
Here we get Ooh, the last post little, credits. Yeah, post credits. I think this is where Marvel got the idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we see the robot roll up. Have a nice day. But um. Oh yeah, here's the lightning video thing. Yeah, so, the yeah, lightning video. Uh, definitely. Uh... Sales PO Box four eighty four Stamford, <laughs> Connecticut. There you go. Oh, you gonna write them? I would, but I doubt that that PO Box belongs to them <laughs> anymore. Yeah, but no, um, it's just a great ensemble cast. Even if a lot of the people you're really not familiar with, because because you know as stereotypical as some of those roles were, the um, there's an awesome lighting video logo there too. As stereotypical yeah. as some of the roles were, like the people fit them perfectly. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's it's no, um, you know, it's it's no worse than say you know um something like friday the 13th part four or you know i mean uh the actors with what they're given to do you know they're they're serviceable yeah i mean you know? i i mean they're they're actually i don't mean to sh- like shortcut them there was a couple good friday cast throughout the series but there was a lot of them that were very generic and like I don't. I don't think the quote unquote kids in this movie. I don't think any of them really came off as generic. Like they all seem pretty competent. Like the only one is Susie Slater. Not that she's bad, but she's like kind of the one that we. I don't know. I, I just always when I watch this movie, I feel like she's the one we see the least of. I guess. Yeah, uh, her and the gum chewing guy are probably the. Uh, yeah, they're probably the mo the most. Uh, kind of stock I guess. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like it because if. Aside, if you just look at them, Kelly Maroney and um, the other guy with the glasses, you totally you would say like, okay, those are the nerdy characters, right. and they're gonna live at the end. But if if they just you know didn't if they just weren't as dressed down, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to tell you, okay, this is gonna be the final girl. This is gonna be like the, I think the only thing that telegraphs that is, you know, they're they're appearances being played up as like they're like the nerdy characters right, right. but yeah you have like um but, but then uh, again, the, if... the burnett and the other guy um like i mean they e- just as easily could have been the two that walked out of this movie yeah I mean, I mean i think you know i think if you think about it too i don't think it was as much of a cliche at the time that the nerds live you know what i mean because yeah because I mean, like everybody... well, 86 you're still yeah. in kind of you're 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 almost at like the very middle of the slasher right. craze. Yeah, and um, we never really talked about the score to this movie by a guy named Chuck Serino, and it, I actually think it's really good. And it actually came out, got reissued on like vinyl last year, so a lot of people are digging it now. But it has, it's got a cool kind of bouncy synth score where it's got like. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's very cool though it's very catchy it gets stuck in your head like especially over the beginning and credits you know has that composer done anything you know yeah, else he's, worth... he's done oh some... my god i just looked it up on imdb this guy's yeah this guy he's got a lot good. of credits and if you i believe he has something to do with this dvd release let me see he has if he's not doing the commentary i think he's like He's on uh, like a featurette or something, but but yeah, Chuck Serino is really good. Let's see, do you have his credits up real quick? Uh yes, I do. Yeah, what else has he done? Well, he's still working, and right. um, he did Cobra Gator. There you go. <laughs> uh, which was also for Winorski. Oh, and he did a movie called Nessie and Me, which is Winorski. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's making family movies about the Loch Ness monster now. Yeah, he is because <laughs> he might be make he might have made Nessie and me under a different name, but I, he was he was. Yeah, I know uh, he's. Uh, but busty coeds versus lusty yeah. cheerleaders. <laughs> he also did return to swamp thing. Chuck Serino did this. also a Winorski. Damn, is he just Winorski's? Like, uh, got every. I'm just clicking on random like titles now, and yeah, so far it's, they've it's all been Winorski stuff. Uh, but um, going back to like the '80s, um, he did that Transylvania Twist movie that we You're mentioned, right. um, Big Bad Mama Two, Deathstalker Two. Um, Sorority House Massacre 2, 9-6 Evil 2, Evil Tunes, which, have oh, you seen Evil Tunes? I have not seen, I think I've seen pieces of it way back in the day, but I got a friend, Newt, who loves Evil Tunes, he talks that about movie is That movie is nuts. Fred <laughs> Olin Ray. Fred, yeah. Fred Olin Ray. I think Fred Olin Ray might be, like, with what he does with his movies, I think he actually might be crazier than Wynorski, believe it or not. I don't know. I feel like both of those guys are both nuts. And there's a couple Olin Rays now. That yeah. Making movies. Um, Cobra vs. Uh, Komodo, Inner Sanctum. Yeah, it's all Wynorski stuff. He's also a cinematographer for... Uh, Looks like uh, really? a lot of Winorski stuff. Oh, wow. Especially with um, the video camera shit anybody can be <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he's got a few directing credits, mostly stuff that I never heard of. Um, I, I, I think probably out of all the people in terms of, like, prolific whatever, that came out of Choppy almost probably Terleski's uh, directing career, I would say. Yeah, it, it seems like he's just one of those guys that, you know, he just just does a lot of tv and yeah. it's like a lot of like stuff like um uh i don't have his thing pulled up now but it was stuff like uh like castle and oh yeah big you stuff, know a lot of those yeah. like yeah a lot of like the popular shows and stuff like that yeah but yeah and and i saw his acting credits too Trelesky kind of popped up and stuff i think all the way through 2005 and i think at that point he kind of transitioned to directing full-time and all that but yeah, I don't know. Just, just something about this movie, man. It always stuck with me. Then obviously when this DVD came out, you know, about ten years ago. Um, this movie is just, I mean, yeah, it's 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 dumb robots killing kids in a mall. But it's, I don't know, it's just a lot of fun. And like I said, if you're if you're looking for like the more like earnest, like really just not unpretentious B movie. Like this is this is one of the ones that I think is the most fun. A lot and a lot of that is like it's there's no real fat on it, you know. Right. It's it's, it, it, it's, it's an hour and seventeen no minutes. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's straight to the point. And the mall I setting mean, is great. I mean, there's like a lot of atmosphere. Like even the like that little part with the married couple and their car broke down and they're kind of outside and it's in the dark. Like it's not meant to be overly spooky, but like you kind of get the like you you feel like it's a scene in a horror movie. It's you know there's. I don't know, like, you know, there's there's not a lot of dud scenes in this movie at all. Yeah, and when when you, when you watch a lot of B movies, like <laughs> Goat and I, you'll run across some that you know you might even like, and it'll be like a lot of fun. But it, you're at the end, you're just like, man, it just dragged in the middle, or right. you know, they they go on for an hour and a half to two hours, and there's just scenes that, for a movie of that nature, you know just you you're not getting anything from and yeah, so. i mean almost all these movies that we watch like this you're like 
you're like that was good i liked it and i'll watch it again you know you know a little bit down the line but they could have chopped this they could have chopped that chopping mall is not like that at all i don't think yeah i mean the only thing you could say is like you know like they kill two technicians you can say ah oh, they could probably got just got away with killing one but you know like i i don't ever blame any movie for trying to get the body count up you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Kelly Maroney, my fa- my I I don't know, man. I think maybe my favorite actress of all time. And the reason I say, <laughs> that's yeah, and the reason the reason I say is every time I see her walk into a movie, like it instantly, I don't know, it instantly gets like dramatically better whenever she's on screen. Like even <laughs> Night of the Comet, which is a in my opinion is a masterpiece of you know, you know, I don't even want to call it low budget filmmaking, but you know, small budget filmmaking, whatever, like. Like there's so many great scenes of that, but like all the best scenes are mostly the ones she's in. So, yeah, I gotta give her her props because I feel like she always made her characters real. It, you know, like like the way like her acting style, and I know she had like a lot of soap opera experience before she started doing movies, but I felt like she brought like she knew how to like take little sparse pieces of dialogue, little scenes, and put like you know some personality behind it. You know. Yeah. I'm still, I still love Barbara Crampton. Oh yeah, she's like amazing. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I mean, obviously, because she I, still looks good too. Yeah, I wish she still looks amazing. And like with Barbara Crampton, like even like her roles that like people don't really pay attention to. Like I thought she was great in You're Next. Oh yeah, yeah. So did I. Um, I also watched uh, "We Are Still Here" with her. I haven't seen that yet. I gotta get on. That. It's pretty. It's it's pretty decent. Um, it's got a lot of good gore in it. And uh, obviously, I wish her part would have been trimmed down so much in "Lords of Salem" because I was that was oh, one of the, yeah. that was the main reasons I I wanted to see "Lords of Salem" so bad was I knew Barbara Crampton was in it, and she's kind of like a, just like an extra in it, pretty much. Yeah, she was wearing a Primus T-shirt though. Yeah, she was. <laughs> <laughs> old rob zombie uh i i did not like that movie i am looking lords forward to salem. his new one yeah i like lords of salem uh i saw it twice in the theater so i kind of got a chance to kind of take it in a second time um i liked it the first time too um yeah. i just think it was kind of the i don't know like i felt like it was hamstrung a little bit by the budget but they cut so much movie out of it like there was so much stuff that was cut yeah. like I and I know what he was going for. Like he was going for more of like a surrealist kind of, kind of like the old Italian movies. But you know, and I'm not one of those Rob Zombie haters either. No, I, actually, I actually really I, like Rob Zombie. Yeah, I actually even like. I mean, I I don't think they're great or anything, but I actually do appreciate both of his Halloween movies, even if yeah, you know, here. yeah, they're not the best, but they I, do I, a lot of things that I think are cool. Like since it's you know, since it's the. Uh the i guess the halloween time you know whatever horror themed october um you know people who really like savagely go after the rob zombie movies i gotta be like did you not ever see halloween five because that's the worst one by far <laughs> the worst <laughs> well, one by resurrection far. oh resurrection you know Re- yeah yeah resurrection's very like i actually like part six I haven't seen the producer's cut, but I always like part six, but parts five and resurrection, those are the most out of all Halloween movies to me. They feel like the most ones that were filmed on like a deadline. You know what I mean? Well, I feel like a lot of people are like, Oh, what's this rock star guy doing coming and trying to make movies. And yeah. you know, I feel like with, if he didn't have that attached to him, maybe. And, he'd I, get a- and I kind of get to that. People are like, how dare you remake Halloween? But it's like, 
when you made eight sequels or whatever in the original continuity yeah you know like i mean to me it really was and i and i somewhat liked the movie and whatever but like like i get the outrage in like remaking psycho because Mm -hmm. you know there was psycho and then there was psycho two and three but the even part two and three even though they're enjoyable they feel very different than the original you know what i mean i mean i'm just done getting mad about remakes i mean they're either gonna be good they're either gonna be bad if they're bad you know it's not doing anything to the the original i know and i mean i i know i i think we're kind of more in agreement it's just more in like maybe our perception but like i i'm not as against remakes as you are but you know i i also don't like get as mad when one comes out because it's just like you know what it's gonna be there the original movie is still gonna be there whatever i mean i like i felt that way too for a long time bird i was like what's the harm whatever but it's like i don't know like at the same time like it's different when at least the the remake is mixed like like zombies halloween it's like some people really hate the hillbilly shit some people think it's cool but like at least that's a mixed reaction when you get a remake like a nightmare on elm street which like i never hear anybody say anything positive about that movie and it seems like it was like again it was a movie just made on a deadline oh we got the brand name like like don't let's be honest like we can say it doesn't erase the original night west craven nightmare on elm street but don't you kind of wish that movie when when the remake is so i don't mean you know because there's always like the you know, taste is different. Some people hate it, some mm-hmm. people love it. But in terms of when there's no originality in the remake, well, I, I no think the deviation. Like, don't you wish that that pale imitation type of remake would just go away? I do, but I I think it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I think just because they get forgotten about right. so easily. Like no no <laughs> one remembers that Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Like yeah, like and it, they can't it, even make there's... a sequel because nobody remembers. But that's also, like, you know, if you're going to do a remake, like, do something interesting with it, or at least right. try to do something. Make it your like, own. Yeah, and I mean, people have different mileage, but at least something like, um, I don't know, like, uh, I think of of Halloween, or even, like, Evil Dead. I mean, at least they didn't just, okay, this is, here, here's the script of the mo- old movie, just refilm it, you know? Right. And whether whether you like the movie or not, those are the remakes that are, you know, that I can appreciate. It's it's when you just, you know, are recycling dialogue wholesale. And I, I mean, I, I hate it when, um, and I even like the actors that are in the Nightmare, you know, I like the, the quote-unquote cast of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. But when you're like, okay, Rooney Mara, you're Nancy. And it's like, really, she's Nancy now? And then you give her nothing to do during the whole movie. Like, you give Nancy nothing really to do during the whole movie. And, and that's also, like, you have the wrong people. Because that director said from day one that he didn't, like, he thought the original movie was stupid. Right. And, you know, this was going to be better and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I mean, you can't hire in a director with that attitude to remake something. You have to have someone that at least understands why the original is popular. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. Like, I think I think in a way, too, is like when you make these sequel, you know, these sequels or these remakes, I think you need to kind of like a perfect example is like, uh, like the spider-man movies like i actually respect for the most part the spider-man movies all these different variations they made different franchise of it they don't just like reuse the same villain over and over it's like okay this is a quote-unquote reboot a quote-unquote whatever but we're gonna pull in a different villain like that's what horror movies should do like 
they should be like, okay, we're we're rebooting this or we're redoing that or we're making a long whatever sequel, but it's like it's like we're putting at least some element into it that you haven't seen either in the original or the original sequels, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody. Speaking of remakes, there was uh, the guy who did uh, Chrome Skull, Laid to Rest. He kept saying about, probably at this point, probably six years ago, maybe five <laughs> years ago, he was going to remake Chopping Mall, but it was going to have nothing to do with robots. It was going to have to do with ghosts. And I have to say, A, <laughs> you know, now this is the argument against kind of what we were talking about. Like, I'm actually glad there isn't a shitty Chopping Mall remake because all there is now is Chopping Mall. You know what I mean? Like, I like that the memory's not tarnished. And B, if you're not going to do the robots, like, why even do it? Why? Well, yeah, that's like saying I'm going to remake... The name of it. (laughs) It's like saying I'm going to remake King Kong, but instead of a giant ape, there's going to be, like, a a ghost. (laughs) Instead of a giant ape, there's going to be a small, like, reptilian... (laughs) Yeah, well, alien that attacks people. Why even bother at that point? Yeah, it makes no <laughs> sense. But anyway, we should get out of here because what do we what do we got, Bird? Before our graveyard shift ends, we got at least five or six other movies to do. So, oh yeah, there's yeah. a lot of catching up. Uh, yeah, we we got a lot more miles to go before Halloween comes. You know, you know, like those little little cartoon drawings you see where Santa Claus is like. Like sitting in a chair, ass asleep, in the calendar next to him it says December twenty sixth. That's how it's going to be for us on November first, when Halloween's finally over and we can stop in this commentary podcast sweatshop <laughs> of trying to make as many you know as possible uh, Halloween episodes, horror October episodes as we can. We'll be all passed out in front of our DVD players and microphones. Yeah, we may never recover. We may never recover. We, may, I, you know, once this uh, this uh, season Halloween season is over, I may never watch a horror movie ever again. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. Which is which would actually be easy to do if you think about it, because uh, you know there are no new horror movies coming out. So <laughs> <laughs> there's some stuff, but not much, man. Yeah. Like I thought the cool. I thought it was funny when I saw The Conjuring two this past summer, and. Uh, it How was, was that, by the way? I actually really liked it, and I, re- I, I, I really liked it better one. than the first. And I okay, liked because I know I know you liked the first one yeah. too. Yeah, but uh, I knew I was in for a bad sign. Where uh, in the middle of June, all the trailers were for uh, like comedies <laughs> and fantasy movies because there was no other horror movies at that yeah. time. I think uh, Rings is. I think Rings is all that all that we got. Yeah, very slim pickings. But anyway, everybody, obviously. Uh, the Halloween stream rolls along. We'll be seeing you down the line with more episodes of the 1980s movie graveyard. Horror Please listen to my podcasts. Which one? <laughs> Tell <laughs> both of them. Both. If it bleeds, we can kill it. And kaiju transmissions. All right. If you're into the giant monsters, please come on, man. And I'm sure you'll have some uh, Halloween themed <laughs> episodes over there too. So. Oh yeah, I got Halloween themed episodes of both in the pipeline. There you go. So everybody. Only six hours a day can help keep Halloween-crazed podcasters in business. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. (laughs) All right. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. 
For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com.